Hey family, it's your sister Jocelyn here and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We are so glad that you are here and want you to know that we're committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. And we do so through a variety of ways by connecting you with a team of Christian counselors and offering trauma healing trainings across the country. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Now, today I'm excited to welcome to the show a pastor of over 30 years who is doing some great work around healing and ministry. Pastor David Chaka, his own ministry called Spirit Equipped Ministries, an organization that's designed to help people grow in spiritual disciplines one small step at a time. And so he is here to share his testimony with us today. Dr. David Chaka, I'm glad to welcome you here. Thank you. It's good to be on your program and thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, before we get into the amazing work that you're currently doing with your ministry, one thing that I love to do is just learn about your story. You have a testimony and it's one in which you talk about the struggle of God healing and saying yes to healing in some cases, but no in others and, and really reconciling that. And so I would love to hear about your personal testimony. Well, this, this was the defining moment when I began to realize that healing prayer was for the ordinary person, because when I started, nobody had trained me. I had never met anybody healed through what James calls the prayer of faith. I hadn't met anybody who'd been healed by miraculous prayer, that, those kinds of things. And so the conversation with well-meaning Christian friends was, uh, do these people really exist? <laughs> Are they really there? And we wondered because we'd see some you know, odd things on television or we'd hear these, these kooky stories and so on and so forth. And so uh, here's what happened. I wound up training for the ministry and I went to a, a theological seminary that was in what I call the middle ground where there were some people with liberal convictions, some people with conservative convictions, et cetera, et cetera. But my class uh, was not typical. It was profoundly people who held views that I did not hold. <laughs> so I remember in particular, if there was a class where a professor would say, oh, by the way, that miracle didn't happen. That was written in later by the later by the early church. I, I, would, I would rise in protest and I would say, oh, by the way, I believe that that really happened, that this is an historical event. Jesus did in fact walk on water. Moses split the sea, et cetera, et cetera. And whenever I do that, there was a fellow student in the class, and the guy couldn't have, could have been a stand-up comic. I mean, he was absolutely hilarious. Anytime he'd say anything, it didn't matter if he was talking about a cup of coffee or the weather. He, he would just have this ability. He had been a radio broadcaster, and he would use that, you know, how do I say, sharp wit in the middle of conversations on talk radio and that kind of thing. He would say something that would make the whole class burst into gales of uproarious laughter. Sometimes we laughed so hard that our the tears were coming down our eyes and so on. And it, the trouble was, I was the object of the humor. <laughs> so, yeah, I would, I would defend the faith and he would he would mock the faith. You know, it was, a, it was this crazy kind of a thing. And so, you know, the first time it happens, you laugh it off. The second time that it happens, you look at him strangely. The third time that it happens, you realize it's a pattern. And so somewhere along the line, I said to myself, this guy's never going to be my friend. This is not going to work. You know, we hold completely different views about the historicity of the scripture and the power of the word and so on and so forth. Anyway, some months go by and I'm in a lot of classes with him because it was our first year. and There's required courses and that kind of thing. And we had a mutual friend who was very, very, very kind and sweet. And in the book, uh, Healing Prayer, I call her Susie. It's not a real name, but I call her that in the book because I haven't had a chance to talk to her about this. But, you know, here's what happened. She, uh, I was crossing a plaza to get to my Greek class. 
And this girl sees me and says, David, how you doing? I said, oh, fine. How about you? She said, oh, I'm just fine. And she was a do unto others as you would have them do unto you kind of Christian person. Practical love was the name of this girl. You know, she would just do these kind things all the time. Send little sweet notes when you were depressed and, you know, drop by with some food when you were in trouble. That's the kind of girl she was. And she was doing this to everybody. So she sees me and I have this hello. And then she said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, the guy, you know, our friend. I said, oh, yeah, I do. He said, well, he's in the hospital down that way over there. And it was about six blocks down the road. We were in a university area. I said, oh, and I didn't feel bad. <laughs> Because he, no, he made fun of me so much. And then I realized I was sinning against him and I had to repent. So so I repented of my sin. And then I said, well, is he getting good care? And she said, well, yes, he is. That's that, that's a hospital down there, about six blocks down. I said, well, I'm glad to hear that. I got to get to my class. And she said, he asked me to ask you a question. I said, what was it? She said, uh, he wants you to come and pray for his healing. I said, what? <laughs> wow. And she said, he wants you to come and pray for him to get better. I said, Susie, you, you know that I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I, I, is he lying? Does he want to make fun of me? Does he want to make me the laughing stock? I've been a laughing stock every time I've raised my voice about the miracles being true. I mean, why would he ask me to pray for him? You know, and we had this little three minute conversation and she looked at me finally and she said, you know, he's been cruel. You're right. I said, well, he has, I'm not going. And she said, well, I'll talk to him. Thank you very much. Way I went to my class. The next day in the coffee lounge, I see her again. And she said, oh, I talked to him and he's terribly sorry for what he's done. He wants you to come pray for him. I said, I'm not going. <laughs> and you know, in the book, it says to, we had to edit it for content. So there was actually three of these moments. She sees me as she's and wrote to her whatever class. And she says, did you go and visit our friend at that hospital six blocks down the road? I said, no, I'm not going. And, I, and listen, Jocelyn, have you ever been told off by your mother? Oh, yeah, I've, I've gotten told about myself before. Okay, so you felt it. This is what my mom, when my mom got mad, she would stomp her feet, her eyes would blaze with fire, and she would insert my middle initial into saying my whole name. And this girl knew my middle initial. <laughs> she, she stomped her foot, she had fire in her eyes, and she said, David R. Shotgun. Aren't you going around this campus telling everybody you meet that the Bible is the word of God, it's true, and it's to be obeyed? I said, absolutely right. And she said, well, what about this scripture? I was sick, and you visited me. Mm. And suddenly there was this fell blow in the center of my being, <laughs> and I knew I had no choice. I was going to have to go and see the guy. But I said, look, it says sick and visit. It doesn't say sick and pray. She said, regardless, you got to go. I said, okay. So I finished my class, and away I went down the street. And I walked into the hospital room and the guy was, oh man, it was serious. He was just as pale as could be. Here's what he had. He had phlebitis. I don't know if you know what that is. Phlebitis is, is where you have a clot in your vein, or if it's in your leg, it's called deep vein thrombosis. But if the clot breaks free and it travels through your blood system, it gets to your lung or your brain, you die instantly. 95 times out of 100. And five times out of 100, when it doesn't kill you, it damages you for life. You suffer stroke and terrible effects and so on so it was really serious and this guy he's he's ill so i walk in and he's he's wired for sound there's monitors and there's tubes going into him and there's you know these screens that are playing and people walking back and forth with pads and so on and so forth and i walk in after somebody leaves one of these medical people and he's pale as a ghost he's only 27 years old and he looks at i, I look at him and i said how you doing we talked about the weather <laughs> Number one, oh no, I'd never seen anybody healed by the prayer of faith. I, nobody had trained me. I didn't know what to do. And that's the first fear. The second was I was afraid the guy was going to mock me. So I, you know, I talk about the weather and then we talked about his courses. I said, look, I visited you. I'm going to go now. 
And he looked at me with this scared kind of how, you know, haggard look. And he stopped and he said, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you going to pray? And I said, well, look, I got to know something before I do this. Every single time I've defended the healing miracles of Jesus or the nature miracles or any kind of thing that had to do with the Bible, you have mocked me to our peers and you've made fun of me and you've turned me into a laughingstock. Why do you want me to pray for you? And he just burst into tears. 27-year-old man burst into tears. And he said, I am so sorry I did that to you. I have phlebitis. I could die. I want to live. And you're the only guy I know who believes that the Bible is completely true from cover to cover. Won't you please pray for Jesus to heal me? And I realized the guy meant it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a setup. And suddenly I just felt this compassion, but I'd never done it before. I'd never seen it done before. Except, no, I'd see, I'd seen the people slap people on the forehead and fall down as they're screaming fire and that kind of thing. But it wasn't a helpful model. <laughs> so, so I, but I remember it from scripture, Jesus put his hand on people. And so I said, listen, where is, where is this phlebitis? He said, left arm, just above the elbow. I said, so I come around. I said, may I put my hand on you to pray? He said, please do. So I put my hand on one hand on his arm and I put one hand on his head. And this was the defining moment that forever changed my whole understanding of everything that has to do with this topic. I began to pray and I cannot remember a word I said. <laughs> I was so scared as I was praying, but the room filled with fiery compassion. It was like I was inhaling compassion. It was in the air and it was just there. He felt it and I felt it. And, uh, and, and then this fiery presence rose up inside of me and I'd never felt that before. Uh, Luke 24 talks about this. Did not our hearts burn hot within us while he was speaking, says Cleopas to his friend. And anyway, that, that kind of fiery presence and compassion and focus the only thing I could see was him and his need and the sense of the Lord's presence was flowing through me and I was focused on him and a tear came out of the corner of my eye and I said, oh, something like, oh God, I don't know how to pray, but please heal this guy, something like that. That's all I can remember. And as I did, that fire inside of me got large, profound, peace rose, so did conviction. And what I now know is called a gift of faith. I believed that God in his glory wanted to manifest the healing of this man. And I just knew it. And so I was praying. And that fire came down my arm, went into his arm. And then he looked at me and he said, what is that fiery presence burning in my body? I said, that's the power of Jesus granting you a healing. Hey family, I'm interrupting today's podcast to thank you, my faithful listener, for helping to make this podcast possible. I release the show week after week because I want to pour resources into your life to help you to grow in your faith and heal your heart. And if this show has been a blessing to you, I want to ask a very small favor that literally takes one minute to do, and that's to leave a positive review, just sharing your thoughts and feelings about the show. Just like Lena219 did, she called the show a daily must. The messages and stories shared throughout this podcast are ones that can reach multiple souls. Listening to this podcast reminds me that I'm not alone in my trauma, and it is possible to release things from the past to have a brighter tomorrow. 
Thank you so much, Lena219, for tuning into the show. I appreciate your kind words. They mean the world to me. And if you feel like Lena, please also take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcast. It not only it supports me, but it also helps us to reach more people through Apple Podcast. So thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. And let's get back to the show. I had never experienced that before. I'd never seen it before. And I still wasn't convinced he wasn't going to make fun of me. Anyway, months later, he told me and he came back and uh, he told, you know, he told me what happened. The nurse walked in after I walked out and and he said to her, I can go home now because my friend from the Bible school, he came and prayed for me. Jesus has healed me, he said. And she said, we don't do this around here. (laughs) We have to run some tests. He said, well, run them. And she said, well, I'm here to get you for them because you're due. And they tested him, and there was not a trace of phlebitis in his body. Come on, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. The next day, I'm in the school. I'm at the coffee lounge, and he walks in, and he's well. Wait, the next day he walks the in? The next day, yes, the next day. And so so I see him, and I said, you're here. He said, yes. And it was a 19th century building with stone columns in the hallway. You know what I'm talking about? One of those old buildings that was built for a theological seminary. And so he pulls me into one of these corners, looks in every direction. And then he says, that prayer changed my life. And I said, thank you. And I ran away again. (laughs) No, 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 that's exactly right. It it was because I I had not yet had an opportunity to process what had happened in that moment, nor was I sure that I actually believed it was done. And I was still afraid he was going to mock me. But the next time I was in a class, I got up to defend the historicity of the scripture and he lobbed the joke at unbelief mm. and the whole class burst into uproarious laughter at not embracing the scripture mm. and this went on for months now, i'm going to tell you the end of the story that's not in the book so that story is the first one in the healing prayer book but here's what here's what happened so i go away from my summer field because that was part of the deal and at, the, at when i got back from Summerfield. We had a little social thing for the students, you know, we're all gathered around and his wife was there and she was a lovely lady. And this girl who was our mutual friend was there and he was there. And I walk up and say hello. And the two girls start to give the elbow, you know, just, <laughs> you tell, tell Chotka what happened. Tell Chotka what happened. He said, I don't want to tell Chotka what happened. Anyway, eventually he looked at me and he said, you know, the night when I was released, I said, yeah, the very day that I prayed, he said, yeah, I went home, told my wife. We were both thankful. We prayed. I went to sleep and the Lord spoke to me in the night. And he said this, my servant David defends the scripture whenever he speaks. When he speaks about the authority and the integrity of my word, defend him. And he and he did. Now, here's what happened after he told me this. And of course, it was a moving moment and the four of us are in awe. He then said, the only time I got a phone call from God, it was for you. <laughs> Of course, the whole room laughed, you know, but I I heard from other students. He would testify to the Lord's power to heal from that point forward. And he sent me a note 30 years later saying, I remember the moment the medical community was mad at me because I said I was healed and they tested me and I was healed. Isn't that amazing? And our God is good. Wow, that's so powerful. And I I know there's story after story that you can share about your experience with healing prayer. And for for some, this might sound like, woo, this is like 
this is deep. Or some people might say, well, I don't know. Or maybe that works for you, David, because you have a special anointing. And so for someone who is hearing this uh, and they have questions, what would you offer them? Well, actually, in the book, we put stories with people where I was not involved at all, uh, where churches uh, embrace the command to pray for the sick because the Bible says you should, that kind of thing. Uh, in particular, the book of James says you gather the elders when somebody's sick and they request prayer. One of the stories was someone from my church here in Windsor before I went into this ministry, a lady named Susan, and she came to see me to get married. I thought, oh, isn't that nice? You know, it's one of those, mar- it's one of my first pastoral visits in the church. You know, the girl comes to see me. And she looks at me and she said, you know, I didn't think I'd be asking a pastor to marry me. I think I thought I'd be asking a pastor to marry me. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I had pancreatic cancer. I, it metastasized. It went from my pancreas into my lungs. And they told me I had three months. And so I said, well, tell me the story. Because, you know, I'm brand new to the church. This happened in 2012. I arrived in 2015. So it's three years after. And, uh, and so she, you know, she tells me that uh, she had got this terrible diagnosis and she belonged to a small group and there was an elder from the church in the small group. And she looked at the elder and said, you know, Book of James says elders should pray when someone's sick. I want to be anointed. I want you to pray for me. So she gathered a bunch of her friends and none of them knew what they were doing. <laughs> no, they'd never done this before. The prerequisite is not necessarily knowing what to do per se. Well, that's just it. That's the whole point of the book and the story. In fact, I even wondered if I should call the book Healing by Surprise, you know, because <laughs> right. it, sure, it sure wasn't my idea of a good time. <laughs> right. anyway, so his, so she, she asks, you know, and these people say, well, I've got to obey the Bible, you know, and they gathered in the, in the prayer room after a Sunday service in February 2012. It was actually National Cancer Awareness Day on that day. It was very, very, very interesting timing. And as they prayed, and I talked to two elders, and I talked to two of her girlfriends and her, all five of them were in that room. All of them, as she got anointed, felt the presence fill the room, felt fire burning in their bodies. And one of these elders is one of these conservative kind of, how do I say this? Uh, I don't say much, but when I do, it counts kind of guys, you know, big big tall guy who knew the Bible and was very reserved in his demeanor. And one of the guys was a, was a Chinese fellow who was an elder and he spoke four languages and English was his fourth and he had trouble speaking English. He had a bad accent, brilliant man. But regardless of that, he, and there were these two friends who were longtime uh, friends of hers. They all gathered around and they, and none of them had been involved in a prayer for healing before, but they cried out to the Lord and she just felt, it's like the, the woman with the issue of blood in Mark five, she felt in her body, she was healed. So she looked at the two elders and their two girlfriends and said, well, what do I do now? And they said, well, follow the advice of your doctors. And they said, well, you'll have four months if you take chemo. you got three months if you don't. That's what they told her. And so she took the chemo. And five months later, five months, she went in for the checkup. And there was not a trace of cancer in her body. She was putting on weight. And you know this about pancreatic cancer. Nobody survives if it's metastasized. The, the statistics are 100%. She is still alive today. This is this 2012 to now. That's 11 years ago. And when she goes back and sees the doc, he grins and says, you're my miracle patient. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because many, many, many people who have prayed and not seen an answer, and, and I talk, talk about those stories too in the book. Many people who have prayed and sought an answer and don't see it need to trust in God's sovereignty in the middle of this. And the way that I describe it in the book is God initiates and we respond. 
and uh, we're not supposed to, you know, how do I say it? I'm not, I'm not here to discourage this, but I am just aware there are signals that come when the Lord has made a decision that you're going to be the instrument to be involved in that prayer for healing. One of them is this thing called peace, and it just expands and gets big. One of the signals is enormous compassion for the person you're praying for. You may not even know them. The next thing you know, it rises in your spirit. You're focused on the individual, and you can you can just sense that God has decided to do something profound. And you have not made a plan to do anything profound at all. You're just there obeying the Bible as best you can. And, you know, I'll just tell you something. Most of what I've learned, I've tripped into it. And it looks like I banged my head in a rock and wanted to, you know, you know, and I wanted to say something that neither my mother nor my father would approve. <laughs> then I look at the rock in my bleeding head and I realize that I've tripped into a diamond or a ruby or a topaz or something beautiful. Jesus of Nazareth's desire to work in our lives is more profound and powerful than our desire to be used of it. That's what I would say to anybody. There's so much to what you're saying, though, David. So I, I want to dig a little bit further, though, into what you just said uh, in terms of sometimes uh, the answer might not be yes to the healing that we're praying for for someone else. And dealing with the the disappointment, uh, sometimes questioning, well, did I have enough faith? Uh, working through all the emotions of, in that case, God's sovereignty. Can you speak a little bit more to helping individuals to work through that? And also, if you would like to talk about your personal experience, because I know you have a personal experience related to that. Yeah, I do. So my wife was miraculously healed, genetic transformation of muscular dystrophy. My daughter, who has myotonic dystrophy, was not. And so I live between the two ages. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, I, you I, did. I live, yes. And so in the back, in the back of the book, if, if people are watching this on a YouTube thing, I have a picture of my daughter in a wheelchair mm -hmm. going down the road, walking the dog. Mm -hmm. And I wanted people to know that I am not one of these guys who says everybody will be healed. What I'm trying to teach is that really are, there's five different things that are involved in prayer for healing. One of them is the instant cure the story like I just told you about this, this man in the hospital with phlebitis. The second is what I call natural healing. And I'll just tell you this. You cut your finger, you wash it, you put a bandage on it. Next thing you know, it's well. That's a miracle. My wife did not heal before she was healed of muscular dystrophy. If she damaged a muscle, she'd lose it. And after she was healed of muscular dystrophy, if she damaged a muscle, in a few days, the bruise would end and she would be well. And that's a miracle. When you don't have it and then you do, you recognize that it's a miracle. So that's the second one. The third, and this, this is outlined in the book. The third is what I call the pathway to a remedy, where the Lord redirects your path and leads you to somebody who's done 20 years of research in that particular field. And they have developed a therapy or they developed, they developed um, an outcome or they developed an approach or they developed a medicine. And they, they went into the medicine because they lost their kid sister to leukemia or they lost their brother or their husband in a car accident or something. And they felt commanded of God to enter into studying medicine. If they give you the cure, take the sucker. <laughs> no, that's not, it's not contrary to faith. The, the fourth is there are seasons where you bear long with suffering. And sometimes God does not give an answer. And the fifth is what I call the miraculous crossing where you have completed your life purpose and the Lord calls you home or, or you, you go by rapture at the end of time, whatever, whatever, whatever the timing lands. But, and sometimes these things overlap. Huh? 
And so you can have partial healing and being led to a, to, to a pathway to a remedy. And when you're in the middle of the remedy, have a miraculous cure. Or you can have, you know, the beginning of faith to trust that God's going to guide you. And the next thing you know, you're in front of some therapy that you never expected. And there's a breakthrough in medical research and you're the first one to receive it. Or you're going down the road and you discover that, you, that, um, that you're being led into something you're not expecting. God can do anything and he intertwines all of them. In fact, we have stories of the overlap of all of these inside the book. So that people can know beyond all knowing that when the day is done, to not receive the answer you want does not mean you've lost your faith or you've compromised or you've not had enough faith. In fact, listen, the widow of Nain's son had no faith when Jesus raised him from the dead. Neither did the widow. <laughs> In fact, you know, he said, don't be afraid, lady. And he puts his hand on the coffin and says, sit up, young man. And he does. And the only person with faith there was Jesus, not the family, not the lady, not the crowd. And the same thing goes with the resurrection of Lazarus. And there it was wounded faith. You know, so they, they sent for Jesus in the North Country. And he says, I'm not going. And Lazarus dies. And they had believed that he had, if he had come, the man would have been healed. And instead, he comes when he's five days dead. He's four days in the tomb, so he's five days dead. He's smelling in Middle Eastern heat because of the decomposition. They move the rock. He raises him from the dead when they have not got enough faith to believe. And so wounded faith, and they had trusted Jesus and loved him and cared for him and ministered to him. I'm convinced that Mary and Martha, it's the same family. It, she washed his feet, you know, and sat at his feet to learn. This, this is, so they had faith. They asked, the answer was no. And then he was raised from the dead when they couldn't believe that he could do it. So this is not an issue of us believing. This is an issue of God initiating and us responding. And us learning to pay attention to the voices and the signals of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. So, uh, so th those five pathways are outlined in the book. And we do tell stories where we see partial healing. We tell stories where the answer was no. We tell of the instant miraculous healing. And I just told you a couple. I can tell you, oh, 50 of those. That is amazing. And I think what you're saying here is that we can't limit what God can do to just biblical times. God is still doing it today. And and with everything that you've experienced and everything that you shared, and I know it's, it's so much written in your book in terms of examples and the process and the different types of healing, uh, I would like for you to offer, because this is what our show is about, about helping support individuals on their healing journey. For those who got the no, who um, they're grieving and working through that and still wrestling with God as to why God did not say yes uh, are there any words of encouragement that you can offer that individual? Yeah, I'll tell you what my wife and I prayed before the healing came for her. And it was 20 years. My wife was 20 years where I was married to her, where she was afflicted with FSH muscular dystrophy and was losing ground considerably all the time. Her mother died in a wheelchair. Her sister is now losing ground. Her niece has got the affliction she had. And when I married her, I knew I'd been pushing a wheelchair, barring a miracle. That's what I knew. But hey. First girl to laugh at my bad jokes. <laughs> anyway, oh, she, she accepted me. So I'll just tell you this. We, before the healing came, and we had prayed for years. I mean, we're talking years and years and years that God would grant mercy, that God would heal her, that God would restore her. And we were praying with other people, and they were getting well my, while my wife was declining. That's, that's the strange irony about this. We decided that we would not seek the healing we would seek the healer. Mm. 
and we would dedicate our diminishing strength to serving him, whether we saw the healing or did not see the healing. And after we had made that decision, we started this thing to Uganda. We had I made a three-year commitment, and it was in the second year that we brought this bishop into my church. And uh, I mean, I, I'll tell you how the story happened, because she was not exercising faith, and neither was I. We had stopped praying like that. I was, the church was very full. I mean, we're talking full. We had three services on the weekend. And the Saturday nighters were so astonished at what they heard on Saturday night. They came to the 930. And the 930ers were so astonished, but they heard they came to 11. And so the 11 o'clock service, in ordinary, the sanctuary sat 400 and change. And there were 650 people. It was jammed to the rafters, up and down the aisles, breaking all the fire codes. I was sitting on the steps where the children's stories always told. I was looking out at the congregation, and I saw my wife two rows away from where I was, sitting by herself, unable to raise her arms. She hadn't been able to raise her arms for more than decades. And the bishop is telling one of these stories about deliverance from war, somebody's life being spared while somebody else is praying. And, of course, everybody's on the edge of their seats. And we had prayed, seek the healer, seek the healer. We're not going to try and make the healing happen ever again. And so in the middle of telling one of these stories, he stopped, he looked at me, and he spoke with his thick Ugandan accent. And he said, David, what is M.A.? Master Varts? I don't know. <laughs> then he said, no, there's something wrong. And he put his head in the pulpit. And it must have been, it felt like a long time. I'm sure it was no more than a minute. And then he looked up and he said, it's a wasting muscle disease. It starts in your head, it goes down into your shoulders and into your back. Your shoulder blades go out of position. You start to experience chronic pain between 16 and 20. Your spine gets curved. You lose muscle mass every time you get an injury and you wind up in a wheelchair. You don't die young, but you die in a wheelchair. And he gave a perfect textbook description of FSH, muscular dystrophy. And then he said this, whoever has this, Jesus has just healed you. And her arms went into the air above her head for the first time in decades. And I looked at her and she didn't even know she was doing it. She was so focused on the sermon. She's just worshiping God. Didn't even know her hands were in the air. I mean, this is, this is what happened. Now we had guests because they'd come to hear our speaker. We went home to have lunch because that was what you do after church with guests. And the plan was that I would go up to the top shelves and take down the heavy pots and pans so she could cook. She pushed me out of the way, got on there and took the pots and pans down herself. And a week later, when my daughter was picking on our son, she lost her temper, took her by the hand and raced her up the stairs and made her pick up all her toys, and made her make her bed, made her brush her teeth and rained down the stairs, got her in the van and drove her to school. We were so mad at the girl. We didn't start to celebrate until a few hours later when we realized my wife had run up the stairs. She had not done that since the day I married her. My God. That's, and, and I'll tell you what it was. It was submission to the healer principle. Jesus is the healer. We're not. And you seek him with all your strength and everything that you've got, whether it's a little or a lot. And as in the middle of seeking the healer, Jesus himself begins to move and to operate in the way that he wants to manifest what he wants to manifest in your life. That's what I would say to the brokenhearted. Don't despair. God can still do anything at any stage of your life. Expect his intervention as you seek the healer. That's what I would say. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate you. I wish we had more time, but this has been a powerful interview with so many amazing testimonies. And I encourage everyone to grab a copy of your book, Healing Prayer, and visit your website at Spirit Equip, where they can get a copy of your book, David, or on Amazon as well. They'll get a link to, to where the book is available. Yes, they could do that. They could see my YouTube channel. I do weekly sermons and I have little podcast things and YouTube statements. and I have an Instagram page and the links are all there on that website. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, David, for being a guest on the show. I truly appreciate you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Wow. Some powerful stories. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that God is still in the healing business. And so thank you for tuning in today. And if you need some encouragement on your journey, always remember to check us out on our website at faithonthejourney.org, where you can be connected with a Christian counselor and support on your journey. That's it for this week, family. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a five-star review, share it with a friend. And until next time, you stay encouraged and you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon, family.